This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Saks.com. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. What up, my homies? All right, today we've got such a special and exciting episode. We are taking on the biggest lies sold to women. And we're actually flipping all of them on the head and we're calling out the truth and actually challenging the societal norms that have been pushed against us our entire lives. Now, this freaking amazing, mind-blowing woman, Jamila Jamil, the actress, the activist and the podcast host is dropping truth bombs and such profound insights that let's just say she ends up sometimes ruffling some feathers. But she is here and let me tell you, this woman is unapologetic and freaking fire in the most beautiful, fierce way possible. And together, we're actually pulling back the curtain of all the terrible things that we've been told that we actually may still carry with us. And in today's two-part episode, she's sharing those practical strategies to help you actually embrace your flaws and redefine the relationship with the most important person in your life. Guess who that is? Yes, you guessed it. It is you. I'm your host, Lisa Billiou. And guys, this is Women of Impact. Let's freaking unlock those shackles together and take control and get our power back with my girl, Jamila Jamil. So many of us women have been brought up to believe the things that we should be doing. Like we should get married, we should have kids, be skinny, be quiet, be a servant to other people. And what I love about you is that you didn't succumb to that. And I actually have a quote of yours. You said, I've gotten rid of the shackles of the standard of perfection that women are held up to. Mm -hmm. And so for any woman listening right now, if they want to actually also unlock those shackles, how can they start to do that? Starting with maybe the lie that we've all been told that we're not complete unless we get married. Uh, I think first and foremost, you should make a list of what it is that you think your shackles may be because often you don't recognize them when they're on you. You know what I mean? So many of the things that we do, we do almost subconsciously because so much of the narrative that's telling us what to do is so pervasive. It's insidious. It's It seeps into our songs and our TV shows and our movies. So, you know, when I was starving myself to be skinny enough for society, I thought I was doing that for me when I was spending hours getting ready. I thought that was for me. You know, I, I, I was told by all the magazines that I would be empowering myself. Uh, and when I was being quiet, I thought that's what I'm supposed to do and that would allow me to have a more peaceful life. <laughs> and in some ways it did, <laughs> but uh, it also meant that I was very repressed. So I think it was when I had a nervous breakdown when I was 26 that I had to actually make a physical list of why am I so unhappy? What is holding me back? Why do I want to end my life? What would be enough motivation for me to stay? And I started from there. And part of it was the fact that I 
couldn't speak out, couldn't speak my mind. I was full of repressed rage. My depression came from repression. And I realized that I was still stuck in like so much self-loathing. And for who? We're told so much of this is a choice, but how can it be a choice when everything we see is bombarding us with a subliminal, or not even subliminal, sometimes aggressive instructions as to who we should be. And I never had the feeling, to be honest, that I should tie my worth to love. I didn't grow up in a household where I saw that as a model, you know, of of loving parents together. So that was never something that I had, you know, pinned my hopes on. I uh, I just always wanted to be happy, but I didn't know how to get there, and I didn't really believe that I had the right to be happy. Or if I did, it would have to be as long as everyone else around me is happy first, and then maybe I'd be allowed some crumbs of happiness afterwards. And so I really had to go at this as a kind of crash test dummy experiment of like, can I actually save my own life? And how drastic is my change going to have to be? And it was fucking drastic. And it meant recognizing that I have a lot of people in my life who are really toxic, who make me feel terrible. And when I'm around them, I'm almost at a point where my glands are swelling because I'm so stressed. I'm almost having like an allergic reaction to these people. Am I fulfilled in my job? Does anyone actually know who I really am behind the kind of mask that I've been wearing since I was a kid? You know, does can I live with this like, level of self-loathing all the time and this fear of the mirror and this fear of uh, weighing scales and this fear of my own body. I was just, I had no pleasure. I didn't, I didn't really feel like I was, I had the permission to, to have any, to, I didn't really feel like I had permission to feel joy. And so it meant cutting people out of my life. It was the great cull of 2014 uh, and ending a relationship and moving to America and starting afresh because it's very hard to uh, completely transform yourself around people who've known you your whole life because people naturally want to cling to the person that you were because that's the person that they bonded to and I understand that but sometimes you have to just get away for a bit you have to just and I'm very lucky because I didn't have children I had the ability to just up and leave and it was only me I had to look after but I just was like I'm starting again from scratch I started EMDR therapy which is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing therapy uh, which is amazing for PTSD I started working on my trauma from my childhood and my eating disorder and I just set out to figure out who I actually am because by the age of 26, 27, 28, I still had no idea. I was like 19 different versions of me according to whoever I was in front of, whoever they wanted me to be. I was just a mirror. I wasn't a person. And so I finally had to find out who I was. And that person (laughs) now requires a little bit of, you know, tweaking now and then because I'm raw. It's been like, you know, it felt like becoming a baby again at 28 where I was like, okay, I'm fresh. Babies advocate for themselves. They tell you when they're tired, when they're hungry, when they're grumpy, when they need a shit. I don't, I don't make that other people's problem. But like, <laughs> they advocate. You know, they they they're so open and honest about the way that they feel, and that's sort of beaten out of us from the time we're sort of like two or three years old, so that we can become civilized. But I think it happens to the point where we stop actually asking, especially women. And then especially brown women stop asking ourselves, what do I need? Am I allowed to advocate myself? Will people think I'm annoying? And so this was me going back to that mentality of like, what do I really need? And how can I figure out 
a way, a reasonable way to ask for it. And that became my transition. And it's been bumpy because, you know, when you start speaking your mind for the first time, it's very, it can be incredibly clumsy because it's brand new. And uh, you say things in a way that later you go on to regret because you just haven't yet worked out your filter. And I'm, I think I'm now starting to work that out. Dude, that's so strong. How do you then get started? Because I think that that's what people fear, right? In making the change, first of all, I'm going to rustle some feathers. People are going to disown me. People aren't going to approve. Mm -hmm. And then I'm going to be clumsy. I'm going to make mistakes. And so I think a lot of people end up retreating into what they know because it's comfortable, even if it isn't what they want. Well, I started with the year of no, which was when I was about 28. And I was like, okay, I'm just going to say little no's to start off with. So so sorry but this isn't the way I ordered my coffee or I'm so sorry but I uh, asked for this to be well done or I'm sorry I don't like the way that you're kissing me and I would rather if we could find a different way to kiss that Did we both enjoyed. Did you actually say enjoyed. that to yeah. someone? That's yeah. amazing. Yeah it was fucking great <laughs> and it, was, it felt so scary to do and they were just like all right yeah sure. I think people really like clear, some people like clear instructions. Other people take it badly, but then you shouldn't have sex with them. Um, uh, but I, uh, it was just, it was just these kind of just little, very personal, just mm. shifts of like, I'd prefer this actually, uh, you know, saying at work, oh, actually I prefer this. And then it kind of grew into, I think I don't want to be in England anymore. I think I want to try a completely new country. And everyone was like, well, you're 28, so you're old. And I was a size 12, so I was too fat, apparently. Uh, and, and I was too Asian. So they everyone told me not to go and that I would disappear without a trace. And I was just like, yeah, but I want to. I want to go. I just want to see what it's like. It's okay. This is my life. If I'm, if I'm going to fuck it up, it'll be my fuck up. And I want to own that, but I want an adventure. <laughs> and so it just kind of grew and grew and grew from there to just telling people, I'm so sorry, but if you're going to turn up an hour late, I just have no interest in maintaining a friendship with you. This is my boundary. Like, but it, just, it just was just setting little boundaries that slowly but surely grew that then eventually tumbled into me being quite an explosive person on Twitter, which was, you know, the pendulum swinging all the way <laughs> to the other side. And now I'm finding my way back to the middle of being sensible. But I think it's really hard to contain that much repression. I think that's what we've seen with a lot of women, especially in the public eye, that we were just pent up for so long and being told to shut up and just swallow it and chin up and be grateful for the morsels that we had that I think when the Me Too movement had happened, some of us just went, <laughs> just vomited out all of our feelings with very little filtration because we had no practice and we got demonized for it. Those of us who were really bold and really out there, as if we should be these like perfect politicians and orators, we'd never been asked our opinion about anything. No one had ever asked me anything other than like my favorite lipstick before 2015. And now all of a sudden people were asking me about giant social infrastructures and, and the history of feminism. And I'd never been given a chance to speak about this. So of course it was going to be a little bit bumpy for a bit, but I think we're all entitled to that. And when you talk about the fear that some women might have, I think that's because we are terrorized about mistakes. There's so much misinformation about the power of a mistake. We don't, we don't hold men to those standards. You know, we, we offer men the benefit of the doubt. We're cheering men on. Yeah, I think I saw a quote yesterday that was saying that, like, you know, we employ men for jobs based on 
who they're going to become, whereas we only employ women based on what they've already done. Mm. So we hold these two different standards. We have all the, we see all this potential in a man. So when he makes a mistake, we're much quicker to brush it off and be like, oh, he's just learning. He's just growing. Oh, he had a difficult childhood. That's why he's doing that. But we don't afford women the same benefit of the doubt because we've spent it all on men. And so I'm a big believer in the power of mistakes. It's how I've done all my learning. It's how I've grown into the person that I am now, who's someone that I actually really like. And neurologically, I found out on my podcast that it is how we do our best learning. Your brain implements information the, the, in the most permanent way after a mistake. So I think it's so important. And I make loads of public mistakes, but I don't shy away from them, which is what you're told to do. You're told to just disappear and die. Uh, but I own my mistakes publicly. I don't shy away from them because it's so important for people to see that life goes on. There is there is life after the death of your reputation of being perfect. And I think that that's my main value as a public figure is that I never want to be someone who's aspirational. I don't want someone to want to be me, but I do want them to see me continue to survive and thrive in spite of the fact that I've been deeply imperfect by society's incredibly rigid standards and I'm still here. I'm happy. So if I can, then maybe you can. Mm -hmm. I think that's so beautiful and that you're giving people that way of showing that it's possible. And I think that many people want to see it before they actually try it. Um, I think it's like the four minute mile where everyone thought it was impossible, impossible, impossible. And then one person does it. And then within the next year, something like 32 people go and do it. Mm -hmm. Um, And so just seeing that it's possible and how you're able to do that is so freaking impactful, I think, for everybody to watch and witness. Um, And then the mistake part, I actually really want to like address because because it is so true that we think it means that if we make a mistake, that we are a mistake. And so to your point, that it's so internal that we think of it as being something about us, that we don't see the opportunity that can actually come with a mistake. Yeah. And it's just, (laughs) it's a really imperative part of our growth and everyone makes mistakes. It's just so important to learn how to dust yourself off, acknowledge it and move on. Move on and be grateful. I'm grateful for the mistakes, even if some of them were very embarrassing and permanent and public forever. I'm still grateful for them because otherwise I wouldn't have known any better. And I'm so glad that I can have the humility to digest them and just be like, all right, my bad. I'll take, I will take that L and then just add it to my collection of L's uh, on my journey to becoming someone who's so much wiser now for all of those mistakes. And I've lived, I've really lived, I've really explored who I am. I really know what my strengths and weaknesses are. And you can't explore without accidents. It's not Mm. possible. It's not possible to have a real adventure that just goes flawlessly. Mm. So the only way you can live without, within the parameters of never making any mistakes is by not living at all. It's by not trying anything, not taking any risks. It's it's so important to run towards failure because that's where all the best stories come from. It's where all the excitement happens. And, And I think think it's again where we do our best learning and so I'm very like I'm, I have a very very positive relationship with failure and I've never been qualified to do almost anything that I've ever done and I've had a great time and even if I wasn't perfect at it I rose to the occasion did a pretty good job I've never been fired and so I would never have known that I had that potential in me if I'd been so bound by terror that I didn't try. And I also think women in particular, but I think this also applies to British people, are made to feel egotistical if they try. 
if they take a risk. People made me feel very egotistical when I tried to move to America, being like, who do you think you are? Why would you think you, a radio DJ, could have any career whatsoever in America with no visa, no friends, no money? Like, I didn't know what I was doing. And I understand where that comes from, but it was a real, like, it really put people's backs up in a way that I didn't expect. That How dare you? And it's so strange to me that we associate having a big ego with going out and trying something bold. Whereas I actually think the bigger and more fragile ego are those who are too afraid to even try for fear of failure. That to me feels like that's a big, that's a big, a problematically big ego where you're not even willing to try in case you embarrass yourself. God forbid. Okay. So what I, can you actually take us down that path? Because yeah. Even if people are listening to this now, right? Yes, I'm going to go for it. When you're like sitting in the shit and you feel like you've really royally screwed up, that emotion and that like, you know, your heart starts racing, you start to get flustered. I think it's the the things that happen in that moment that then stop you from doing it the next time. So how do you make sure that that doesn't stop you? Well, I mean, look, everyone, I think you'd have to be a complete psychopath actual psychopath to not feel deep cringe mm -hmm. upon doing something <laughs> very embarrassing and the more public it is the bigger the cringe is mm -hmm. uh, so I of course cringe at myself but I've also found that humor is a really healthy way for me to like almost immediately find my way through it where I can take it and make fun of myself to myself and to my friends and turn it into a funny story and a teachable moment mm. <laughs> for everyone and I think then I instantly recycle it into value does that make sense? I take the cringe and I instantly channel it into a funny tale that we can all <laughs> learn from. And that immediately starts to kind of, it means that I can't weaponize the cringe against myself. You know what I mean? I can't use it as a stick to beat myself over the head with. Like it suddenly becomes this sort of useful, funny thing that almost releases dopamine because I've made it funny. Mm -hmm. So many of the mistakes are so funny. Humanity is so funny. Our flaws are so ridiculous. We are so ridiculous. Everything about us is obscene. We're totally ridiculous human beings. Everything we do, if you actually think about what we do on a day-to-day, -day, even sex. Sex is ridiculous. What is this thrusting? Like, what are we doing? If you actually break it down, it's obscene. It's fun, but it's obscene. All the things that we've hyper-normalized or made to look cool, smoking, being made cool. Like We are capable of manipulating the way we look at anything. And so I've manipulated cringe to be funny. My, my bio on TikTok is I am cringe, but I am free. And so I think it's just changing the way you choose to look at it so that it can't be used against you. And so I go, okay, well, that felt bad. And now it's funny. And now I'd like to try to not do it again. But if I do, I know now that I'm not going to die. I, I love that reframe. That's so freaking powerful. Um, making yourself laugh. I did that my first public speaking gig. I was like, I was so petrified about going on stage and I thought I was going to freeze. And so my game plan was laugh at yourself. That was literally my game plan. I was like, if I mess up, you just have to laugh at yourself. And that's exactly what I messed up. And I just laughed at myself and made a joke and everyone laughed and then I just moved on. And that was the first moment that I thought of the power of humor, of how it can um, really... Uh, uh, what's it? What's the word? Like distinguish? Or, uh, it disarms, disarms people as well. Yeah. Like, and it makes you relatable. I grew up with so many perfect people to look up to, and it just made me feel intimidated and bad about myself. I think it's really important for us to have figures that we find that we see ourselves in. And I think the reason that I have a large following 
it's a following of people who enjoy my mistakes, who enjoy my humanity, who enjoy the ugly, uh, who enjoy the fact that I enjoy all of those things. Mm. You know, we're in it together. My podcast is about me learning publicly in front of other people and asking the daft questions no one else wants to ask, whether I'm asking a neuroscientist about how the brain works or if I'm asking a psychic if ghosts are watching us when we're masturbating. Like, I ask the questions that other people feel too embarrassed to ask and then we all learn together and it's this really wonderful, tight-knit community on iWay that I've, it's just a whole movement I've built of people who just want to learn and want to have the freedom to be themselves. And it's so rare that we find out who we are. You can't find out who you are if you don't make mistakes. If you own your own business, when an employee leaves your company, whether on good terms or bad, it can feel, I hate to say it, but it actually can feel personal, like you and you alone are the one to blame. And it actually may even trigger you to lock down your business, not open yourself up and not actually risk trying anyone else. Like you actually would your heart after a bad breakup and avoid looking for that new partner altogether. Well, let's face it, sometimes we can do that with highs as well. And trust me, guys, I've been there. I get the thought of bringing in a new stranger into your business actually fills your heart with more anxiety than it does love and joy. But when you post your jobs on LinkedIn, you can actually feel the confidence that you will find the right person for the right job fast because LinkedIn isn't actually just another job board. LinkedIn has a vast network of more than a billion billion with a B professionals, which makes it the best place to hire because guys, it gives you access to professionals that you actually can't find anywhere else. And so LinkedIn does all that while making the process easy and intuitive, which then makes hiring with confidence easy when you have that many quality candidates. And it's so easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get qualified candidates within 24 hours. So post your jobs for free at linkedin.com slash Lisa. That's linkedin.com slash Lisa to post your job for utterly free. And of course, terms and conditions always apply. As an entrepreneur, one of the biggest challenges you will face is a negative voice in your head. You know who I'm talking about. That may be not so small part of you that loudly doubts your abilities to actually pull the things off and make a living from your passion project. But you've got to overcome that negative voice in your head, homie, because I'm telling you, you can do it especially if you use Shopify. Now, Shopify is an all-in-one global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From launching your business to hitting a million dollars, Shopify has got you completely covered. And with all the built-in Magic AI award-winning customer service and the internet's best converting checkout, you have everything you need to shut down the voice of doubt and make all your amazing business dreams a reality. That's exactly why, guys, I love Shopify. So if you want to start growing your business with more customers and sales, shut that negative voice down and prove her wrong that you can do it, Shopify is here for you. So go and sign up for just $1 a month with your trial period at shopify.com slash Lisa, all lowercase. Again, guys, you can go to shopify.com slash Lisa right now to grow your business, no matter where you are and what stage it's in. That's shopify.com slash Lisa. Yeah, so true. Um, let's actually talk about eyeway. And you mentioned something earlier about, um, you know, being anorexic. And I know that that's the, the body dysmorphia of how we feel 
if we look good, then we feel better about ourselves. If we don't, if we've gained a pound, if we step on the scale, mm-hmm. like that can really dictate how we feel. And I used to liken it almost like to the weather. You know how you check the weather to see whether you should wear a jacket or short sleeves? I am... Um, me and so many of my audience have feel like that when it comes to the scales. It's like you get on like, can I feel good about myself today or not? Mm-hmm. Um, being able to unlock those shackles for me has been tremendously freeing, especially growing up with a mother, borderline anorexic, and then having, you know, eating issues myself. How have you been able to unlock those shackles and be able to talk about it very openly? And what are the things that you're able to do so that you don't end up going back to that point? I think it was when I decided to move to America, didn't want to bring the same eating disorder that had ruined my life for almost 20 years at that point with me and knowing that I'm going to Los Angeles, which is the hub of like the most toxic body image in the world. Like this is where so much of it originates. So like a lot of the heroin chic didn't just come from New York. It was also there on the actresses and the noughties. You know, everyone's pin thin and eating loads of ice cream and being called a a pig by the men in the movie. Like it just, there was so much toxic messaging. So I knew I would have to build some sort of an armor. So that's when I did the EMDR therapy, the eye movement desensitization reprocessing therapy. And I started really actively working on divorcing my uh, toxic relationship with food. And I recognized that talking about it meant that the abuser in my head that I had built over decades, who was telling me that my worth was directly attached to my size, if I out him, if I tell everyone about this voice in my head, then not only will they be able to tell me about the voice in their head and we can kind of grieve and figure this out together, but also it's so hard for an abuser to keep openly abusing you once the secret's out. It's the inner bully. It's the voice of an inner bully. And it was just like almost the voice of the patriarchy in my head, just being like, be thinner, take up less space, be prettier, look younger. Your value is directly tied to how little space you take up in this world. And so I started the I Weigh movement to kind of make a statement about the fact that actually I weigh my orgasms and my contributions to society and all the mistakes that I've made and all the amazing friendships that I have and the relationship that I have. I weigh the sum of all of my parts. I'm no longer going to be defined by a number on a scale. I'm not a fish. This is ridiculous. <laughs> this is, it's insane. And and so I think that the combination of speaking out, having therapy, and then starting this very emboldening movement that called out the culture that had poisoned entire generations around their body image and distracted us. I think that's one of the most offensive things about the obsession women are encouraged to have with the way that they look and the size that they keep is that you can't keep your eye on the ball. You can't It's harder to grow your education or your mental health or your family or your joy or your happiness or your humanity when you are constantly distracted with the all-consuming terror of food, of gaining weight, of am I exercising enough? It's exhausting. An eating disorder is exhausting. It takes up all of your resources, not just physically, but mentally and emotionally. And it's all you think about all day. And it's such a quick, slippery slope. I think something only like 30% of the people who ever develop anorexia ever recover. That's not a lot of people, given that it is the highest cause of death of any mental illness. It's very serious. And so using my platform to speak out about that, I think I was doing it initially to 
try to help other people, but it completely saved my life. And when you're seeing this very positive message, it wasn't body positivity because that wasn't really for me because I'm in a slim body. So I don't think that movement is is mine to take over, but we worked on body neutrality. I can't love my body. I may never love my body. I may never love my face. But if I could just move away from hate, then I've already made a massive victory. Because even when you're loving your body all the time, you're still thinking about your fucking body. I don't want to think about my body. I have so many other things that are so much more interesting that I want to think about. And so neutrality kind of set me free because I was like, it just doesn't matter. I'll do my best to look after it to, so that it can move and function the way I need it to. But I'm no longer going to allow this obsession that was planted in me by patriarchy by patriarchal media and studios and record labels, all these different ways in which that were owned by men and women participated in that. And women were the editors and women took the photographs and were in the photographs. We all have something to do with participating in that. But I just wanted to break free as much as I could. And so neutrality meant that I was, wasn't thinking about it at all. I didn't love it, didn't hate it. It was just no longer any of my business or anyone else's business. I wanted to grow who I was going to be because that's the person that people are going to want to stick around. None of my friends give a shit what I look like. And my boyfriend gives less of a shit than I look like than I expected <laughs> that anyone would. He cares about who I am. And so it's been very liberating to move on from that. And I'm aware that I have a certain level of privilege and that even though my face would not have been anywhere near a beauty standard 15 years ago, now it is considered so. And so I recognize that I say this from a place of privilege, but unfortunately mental illness is so crippling that it, it and disorientating that it doesn't matter what you look like. You can't see that. You see something very, very different and almost not human in the mirror. And so just being able to be like, you know, I'm just not going to look in a lot of full length mirrors. I'm going to do my makeup in a tiny compact. You saw me doing my makeup earlier and I do, I do everything in that. And then I just get on with my day. My body is now my best friend. It's my ride or die. It's the best friend that takes me to the party until three in the morning and gets me up and protected me from COVID and heals me while I'm sleeping. And I'm going to treat it so much better now. I'm so sorry to my body for the terrible things that I said to it and about it all the time. I'm so sorry to my body for starving it for so long, for over-exercising it, for not giving it enough sleep. I, I, I'm so sorry for all the resentment and just the heinous way I could treat something that's entire purpose is to try to make me achieve my dreams and go to where I want to go. And so now I fuel it in a way that I'm, I'm feeding it because I want to look after it. And I look at it no longer as like my body that's this billboard for society. This is my mate that I'm going to protect for the rest of my life. Dude, this is so freaking powerful. And the body neutrality thing I'd never heard of until I started like researching you. And I was like, it's so powerful because I think what's happening is we we either have like, well, if you're going to do it, you've got to go all the way here. You, If you're going to, you've got to love your body. And if you don't feel like you can love your body, then maybe you may not get started. Mm -hmm. But having that reframe exactly what you said, where it's like, I'm just going to see it as a vessel to all these other things that I love becomes such an empowering piece that now you don't feel like a 
failure if you don't love your body. Mm-hmm. Because we already, you said it earlier about that we have the fear of failure and making mistakes. Well, now imagine you've got that body positivity movement. It's like, love your body. And it's like, if you can't get there, now you feel like more of a failure. And so you may not even get started. Well, that's a consistent perhaps coincidental trend for women is that we are always set a very extreme new example of something that we have to meet immediately so that we're constantly scrambling and again distracted right so it's like oh you have to go from hating your body hating your body to now you have to love your body and you have to be obsessed with your body you have to be naked on instagram all the time because that's the new empowering and now uh we wanted you to be super skinny But now we want you to be super skinny, but with massive tits and a big ass, but still very thin arms and thin legs. And we want you to be incredibly thin, but we want your face to be gaunt, but not actually look old. We're always given nothing but completely extreme and obscene standards to meet all of the time. And it's just not tenable. We're we're never encouraged, even as a generation, regardless of gender, towards incremental progress. Everything, even weight loss, it's always got to be like, oh, I lost a hundred pounds in three months. It doesn't last. No drastic change ever lasts. It's all about incremental, gradual process mm-hmm. and progress. Yeah. God, I love that so much. So, okay. So you um, don't look in the mirror as much. You focus on body neutrality. And then you even said, because I'd never even really heard of um, face dysmorphia before. Mm. Um, And hearing you, and again, I don't, I'm just going to be very honest, right? The outside world is like, fucking hell, you're beautiful. So I'm sure people, they wouldn't think of it. And so that's why I love that you're talking about it, because it doesn't matter actually what you look like. Mm you still don't see yourself for how you really are. And so the amount of women, I think, A, do that, and then B, let it stop them. But what I love is that you you said, you know, the example is that you look in a little compact mirror and it's so freaking empowering that you're able to go, okay, what do I want to do? What am I doing that's getting in my way? And then how do I change my behavior? Yeah. And so you changing your behavior and saying, okay, well, instead of saying I'm never going to go in on TV, I'm never going to get in front of the camera, if your heart wants it, you found another way to do it. Mm-hmm. So number one, you said you looked in the compact mirror. You also always do your own makeup, correct? Yeah, because I don't want to sit in front of a mirror and have to look at myself. Uh, so I do my own, mostly my own hair, mm-hmm. uh, unless it involves having my hands up for a really long time because I've got no upper body strength. <laughs> uh, I'm sort of like a toddler. Um, but I, uh, no, I do my own makeup because it's quicker and then I don't have to sit in front of a mirror. So even for like TV, magazines, cover of Vogue, The Good Place, everything. I do my own, uh, like Marvel, everything. I do my own makeup. I've learned how to become a professional makeup artist so that I'm allowed to do everything myself so that it's just quick and not focused. Otherwise, I will obsess. I will obsess. I'm worried that if I look at my face too much, I'll find the flaws and, you know, these filters on the fucking internet and the airbrushing of celebrities. I don't allow anyone to airbrush my photos because of me, not because I'm trying to, you know, I don't know, be on my soapbox about filters, etc. It's because if I see those images of myself perfected, it makes, it's giving all of us dysmorphia, making all of us hate the faces that we were born with by design, by design. It's no coincidence that now people take their filtered images into cosmetic surgeons and estheticians and say, can you make me look like that? And so then we're putting all kinds of chemicals that we don't really know the long-term effects of in our faces, in our bodies. And then you're hearing horror stories left, right and centre of the suffering that is endured when these things go wrong. Or even if they don't go wrong, there's still so much suffering and money that goes into it. And I don't ever want to feel like I'm demonising anyone who has any kinds of procedures. 
But for me personally, I'm just like, I don't want to spend my time or my money or my <laughs> pain quota on that. I already have periods. Like I'm in enough pain. <laughs> I don't want to opt in to any more agony uh, and any more discomfort whatsoever. And so if I don't obsess over my face, if I don't get drawn in, then maybe I'll be able to escape that. I can spend that money on, you know, Postmates <laughs> or holidays <laughs> yeah. or experiences with the people that I love. And again, it's not coming from a holier than now place. It's just me recognizing that I am highly susceptible to self-hatred. So I have to protect myself. I cannot filter those photographs. I cannot have my images airbrushed on billboards. And I cannot start the slippery slope of the 12-step skincare regimens and the facials and then the injectables and all of that because I will never stop once I start. It's addictive and it makes you more and more dysmorphic. It makes it harder for you to really see your face the way that other people see it. And so that's what I feel worried about. That's why I speak out against filters and stuff because how can you ever look in your mirror after looking at an AI version of yourself and be like, no, that's fine. It's impossible. Mm -hmm. It's impossible to back your own face when it's constantly, when your brain is constantly being rewired. And so that's why I'm quite vocal about the way that people behave online, because I think it's damaging not only to other people, but to themselves. And I, I'm urging people. I think it used to come out in a much more judgmental way when I first started speaking about it because I was just so angry. I was so angry for like 12-year-old me who'd grown up seeing all of that and was so distorted by all of it. And so I, sp I spoke from a lot of, from a place of real rage. And I think I've calmed down now and recognized that I need to have more empathy for those people who are participating in that. It doesn't mean it's okay for them to profit from it. But for the people who are participating in that, that's coming from the same pain that I was feeling. We've just had a different reaction. And so now I'm more, rather than, you know, scold, I just urge people to go, who made you feel like you can't get older? Who made us feel like men are sexy when they develop wrinkles and women are irrelevant? Who made us feel that grey hair makes them dignified and makes us look as though we've lost all value and credibility? We've let ourselves go. Our wisdom is not wanted in this society. When we look dignified and wise, we become a threat. And so that's why we are erased. Everyone wants this doe-eyed baby girl, like, finger on the lip looking like, where's a big strong man who's going to help me? And that's fine. That's a choice. I get that. It's a Lolita aesthetic. But there is a reason that that is what gets elevated and promoted. Mm -hmm. And we want teenagers and teenagers and teenagers on the cover of our magazines. We want, we want brands that can only be afforded by older women modeled by 16-year-old girls. So we don't see ourselves in those images. They don't have them. What 16-year-old has the money to buy that outfit? I do, but I don't see myself in that because I see a child wearing that. And so now I think if I don't look like the child in that outfit, then I'm going to look wrong. It's just so backwards, but it's because we're threatened by women who look powerful and dignified and wise. I think that is so beautiful and we need to start changing that narrative over time. And I think that's exactly what you're doing. Did you also see uh, Pamela Anderson where she went to the award and she didn't wear any makeup? Yeah. And like, again, I think that that's what we need to do consistently in order to change the way that we think of it. Because you said it earlier, where it's like, there's just... I also found that all really annoying though. Did Not you? Her. I love oh, her. Oh. But I just found how big of a deal that became. Oh. <laughs> like... The woman like, doesn't wear makeup and yeah, she's everywhere. It yeah. was just like... It, there was something about that 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 felt like there was a kind of subliminal messaging under the oh, 
And you believe it. Wow. It also felt like another way of then having a slight of the women of her age who do wear makeup. If everyone had been cooler about it and not made such a big deal of it, I feel like that would have been far more accepting rather than turning it into this gimmick. Mm, that's an interesting way. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think the way that I thought of it, because I actually agree with you, but there needs to be that breaking moment. There needs to be that earthquake shift that then changes everything. And so unfortunately, because of the way that people see beauty, that shift came with something like minute like that, where it's like the poor woman just didn't wear makeup and she went to an award ceremony and now she's glorified for it. But if that's what it takes to have that shift, to have everyone go, oh my God, to eventually come to the point where in five, 10 years, we look back, it's like, oh, do you remember that time? Oh my God, how weird was that? Now no one cares. If that's where it's going to lead to, I get it. Versus if it's just that one-off and everyone's um, yeah, but you also have an extremely beautiful woman with amazing skin who does true. that. Same thing with Alicia Keys did it. That's like, it's true. still like these incredibly, like, unattainably, like, unattainable levels mm. of beauty. Mm. And they, these people have access to skincare and all mm. kinds of other mm. things that other people don't. I just think, I just want to be careful. It's the same way when people used to, like, over-congratulate me for doing my own makeup. I was a bit like, yeah, I'm not useless. Like millions of women around the world are getting ready for work right now with like a kid hanging off their tit and they're doing their own makeup. I think sometimes when we over-congratulate, again, this is not about Pam. I love Pamela Anderson. I worship Pamela Anderson. I think she's so great and I love what she did. But I'm deeply suspicious of the media and I just always feel as though there's some sort of subliminal messaging behind how big of a deal we make of this. We infantilize women sometimes. And we turn things that shouldn't be in a big deal into the big deal and turn it into a gimmick. Yeah. No, I I actually hear that. I I was thinking of like that young little girl that maybe, you know, would looked at someone, even though she's stunning, that she still made that decision. So if we can start to change the narrative of the decisions that we make, because to your point, it's not that you don't have the fear that everyone else does, is that you have the fear, but you don't lean into it. You actually say, okay, this doesn't serve me. Instead of leaning into it, how can I change my behavior so that it doesn't Mm. cripple me? And if we can all start to look at it like that, like I'm such a fan of like taking action. Yeah, totally. I was like not covering up my stretch marks in a good place. I had stretch marks all the way up my tits. Wow, I didn't even realize and I've seen the show. And I didn't cover them up and it meant a lot to a lot of people. But again, it was something that I was like... I made a point of it a few times, but then also was like, I need to just hyper-normalize it. Rather than turn it into a statement, just hyper-normalize it. Make it to the point where everyone sees my stretch marks on my tits so often that they then don't notice them. Mm. And that's, to me, like the best place that we can get to. Because again, body positivity is an amazing movement, but then we're just still thinking about it all the time. Yeah, I just don't want anything that we do to have to be a statement. Can we just live? Yeah, I, I love that. And I love that you, the way that you assess things though, is very much like, how do I want to feel? Mm. And then what do I have to do differently? Because even with the makeup thing, I've heard you say, I think it was on The Good Place, where you were like, I'm going to be in the dressing room and the makeup chair just as like as little as the guys mm. are. And the reason being is that you're like, I don't want to get up at five in the morning. How tired am I going to be? I'm not going to be able to show up and crush my job. And so that idea... It was 3.30 in the morning. Oh, Jesus. That's what time I would have to get up to be able to be in a hair and makeup for an hour and 40 minutes. I was like, I'm not doing prosthetics. This isn't The Walking Dead. Like, how ugly am I? <laughs> like, how much makeup are you going to put on me for an hour and 40 minutes? This takes 10 minutes. I got ready in the car today, like, and I might not look Hollywood ready, but like, this, 
it, it's not good for my self-esteem to feel like it takes an army to make me look camera presentable when it, I'm, the man next to me doesn't. And it's also hours of my sleep that's gone. Think about how much hours, how many hours of sleep women generally are missing because we feel like we have to get up early and do our hair for ages and do our makeup and do these long skincare regimens. Sleep, we're now finding out that a lack of sleep is almost carcinogenic. Like it's so vital to our well-being. And there's so many things that we do that stop women from taking that time to rest and sleep. And we fill them with anxiety, which also makes it harder for them to sleep. And so I think I'm just very focused now now on uh, on rest and joy and pleasure and preservation, not preserving the outside for everyone else, truly preserving the inside. And I find that, of course, the more I preserve the inside, the less I have to do to the outside because mm. I'm not as tired and I'm eating well. And so then my skin's happy and my hair is happy and my face is happy. Like, it's all got to be internal, but there's very little money to be made from that. Mm-hmm. This episode is brought to you by Sax.com. At Sax.com, it's easy to find your new vibe. Dive into the Western trend with gold cowboy boots from Stott. Or go full 90s throwback with platforms from Prada. You can shop for everything on your agenda. Whether it's a breezy Zimmerman dress for a garden party or a bright Chloe blazer for brunch. Find inspiration for your new vibe. Every day at Sax.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And how much is all of that, those actions, built your confidence? Because I think a big thing is confidence is attractive. And so when, no matter what way you are, no matter what you look like, no matter how your skin is, when you exude the confidence, people are attracted to you. And so how much do you think that that has been a big part of your transition as well? And that taking care of your body, taking care of yourself has equated to confidence. And then it's the confidence that actually makes you more attractive. I think for me personally, Mm. taking the body and the face relatively out of it and giving it truly about 15 minutes of my day. Mm. And then the rest of my day is about my brain and my life and my happiness and how much I laugh with the people that I love. Uh, And I only work with people that I love and respect so much. And so getting to spend time with them and just like the joy of of being able to witness their fantasticness. Mm. My confidence comes from the fact that I'm now no longer thinking about this thing that is constantly being attacked from the outside. It's literally unsafe to put your confidence in your aesthetic because of how much it is under constant attack from everywhere. It's like a mist. The, The desire for women to hate themselves and to always feel like they're not enough. It's just, it's everywhere. 
It's unbelievable. It's like this vapor that we can't see, but it's constantly coming at us. So it's just not safe for me to put my confidence there. Freeing myself of that has allowed me to put my my attention into building my brain, building my knowledge and understanding, my wisdom, and truly my mental health and my happiness. That's where my confidence comes from because you can't shake who I fundamentally am. Twitter will try. (laughs) (laughs) Try as they might. (laughs) But you can't. That is not permanent. What I look Mm. like now is not what I will look like tomorrow or in 10 years' time. This is transient. I cannot put it. It's a a dangerous stock to invest in. But building the bricks, the foundation of who I am and what what I'm going to make in this life, that to me feels like a very safe bet. So that's what makes me feel confident. And that's what then people see. Yeah. Is that, I think you call it the uh, self-defense of the mind. Yeah, exactly. And that's being very, very careful about what you look at online. I literally say into my phone, dogs, 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 cats, cats, bunny rabbits, uh, because I'm trying to, you know how the phones are listening to what they think that we want to see and then we get sent loads of content about that sort of thing. And I deliberately spend time working out how algorithms work, that if I spend a lot of time on a video of a dog and then I save the video of the dog and then I send the video of the dog to someone else, the the Instagram's going to go like, oh, this maniac is dog obsessed. And then that's what my... Instagram is going to look like. It's not going to be loads of things about weight loss or bikinis or things that are going to make me feel old or shit about myself or people going on really expensive holidays. It's just the things that I want to see. It's comedians, dogs, and then things about justice. Mm. And so I've protected my mind by protecting what I see. This stuff is going, it's the first thing we look at often in the morning. It's the last thing we look at at night, even though we're told again and again and again by neurologists not to do that. We all do it. And so it's very dangerous. We underestimate that these things were designed by neuroscientists to change our brains. And they are. We've never been unhappier about the way that we look. We have never seen teenagers engage in more eating disorders, in more uh, body dysmorphia, in more cosmetic surgery at such a young age as teenagers changing their faces and their bodies. We're at an all-time high of of so much misery and depression and self-hatred. So, the coincidence is that these phones and this social media has gone and like completely rewired our brains to make us hate ourselves and just keep wanting more and more and more. So I've changed my algorithm. Dude, this is so freaking smart. And was that because you took inventory of all the things that were negatively impacting yeah. you and you realized that your phone was yeah. one of them? Love the Hadids. Can't look at them. Can't look at them. They're going to make me feel bad about myself. I can't help it. I want to be immune and secure. But if I look at the Hadiths, I'm going to be like, oh. And so then that makes me feel bad. So then I just don't look at them. I think they're lovely to look at. But I have to, it would be better for me to look at a kangaroo making friends with a goat. Because <laughs> that doesn't make me think about myself. I just don't trust myself. I don't trust myself to not become self-absorbed and self-hating. And I think that's okay. I think it's okay to admit that that, that's my weakness is that I'm so predisposed to self-hatred. So I just don't look at things that make me hate myself. I look at things that make me laugh or make me feel happy. I look for things that give me dopamine. They don't give me feelings of immeasurable self-doubt. This is so powerful. How did you... um, How did you do that where you pivoted to take the action instead of the judgment side of it? Because you can sit here with confidence to say... This is actually, you know, where I'm weak at and I know that I'm gonna, if I do this, I'm going to hate myself. Most people would judge themselves for that, hide it, 
so that they never show anyone that they're um, they have a weakness, and then not be able to actually see the truth. Like, how can you say that out loud with beautiful non-judgment? I think I just recognised a long time ago that I was giving my friends so much kinder advice than I was giving to myself. The grace I extended to other people, the ways in which I told other people to protect themselves, I was never protecting myself. I was just throwing myself uh, to the fire all of the time, but telling other people to preserve themselves. I was I was talking to my friends the way that I would talk to, I would want to protect the child version of me. And so I started to apply that. So if I wouldn't say that to someone that I love, I'm not allowed to say it to myself. If I tell a friend, get off social media, stop looking at supermodels, stop looking at influencers who go on like multi-million dollar holidays, stop looking at anything that makes you feel bad, stop looking at the perfect mum. Like start following mums who actually, you can actually relate to online rather than the ones who make you feel like, who've got a whole team behind the camera who are making you feel like they're just perfectly achieving everything and looking like a supermodel at the same time. Just stop it. It's so hyper-normalized for us to constantly look at things that we don't have, to constantly look to acquire more. That's what capitalism survives on. But we cannot keep doing that. It's so bad for us. We are completely, it is, it is, contentment is the enemy of capitalism. To be happy with who you are and what you have and to go, you know, I actually have enough. And that has been the most liberating part of my 30s is going like, I don't think I want to be a boss bitch. <laughs> I don't want to be a girl boss. I, I want to do stuff that's meaningful and intellectually stimulating with other intellectually stimulating people. But I want to have partners, as in like, obviously a sexual partner. But uh, but obviously. I mean, I want to have, I want to do this with other people. I don't want to be the star and I don't want to be alone on my, you know, with my pitchfork in hand. And I don't want to have the bigger house and then the bigger house and then the bigger house and then the nicer bag and then the nicer shit and the new stuff and the new stuff. and the new... I just, it's bad for my soul. And so I've just hit suddenly this moment where I think post-pandemic, a lot of people did, where they were like, I want to do something great with my life, but I don't want to kill myself for it. I don't want to miss out on time with my friends and what's going on in their lives and their marriages and their kids and this, that and the other. For a dream to then spend loads of time in my castle alone. I really, I really want to live. And that's very hard to do if I dedicate all of my time to achieving, achieving, acquiring, acquiring, acquiring. So I know that's not very inspiring advice, but maybe in some way it might be to someone. I don't, you know, men are so often given that advice of just like, hustle, be the boss, be the leader, like have the Bugatti, have the this, that and the other. And we've never seen men unhappier. We've never seen their suicide rates higher. These are not the things that I think we're supposed to be telling people to run towards. Tell them to run towards friendship. We need each other. We need people. We're so we're in a loneliness epidemic. That is our true pandemic now. It's loneliness. All these things just they just don't fill you up. And I know that because I've had all of it. I've had the fame. I've been on the Time magazine lists. I've had the fancy shit. You know, I've had the attention. And I, I've never been unhappier. Mm. And now that I'm just making my goal around like what makes me feel whole and what gives me meaning and purpose, and that's the work that I do with I Weigh, and that's the comedy that I do that makes people happy, that's it. I don't need more than what I have. And to be able to say that is, I think, one of my greatest achievements. Mm. And so, and I know that I say that again from a place of privilege that I have a lot. 
I would also happily have half as much as I have or a quarter as much as I have because now I've shifted my values so much that I've decided to get off the acquisition treadmill mm-hmm. and to pace myself. And women are, no one is encouraged to do that because if we do, our economy takes a hit. Yeah. I mean, just look at Kate Spade, right? It's like she, from the outside, seemed like she had, I mean, I didn't know her, but seemed like she had everything. Mm. And, you know, she committed suicide. And so the things that we think that are going to make us happy, if they're um, not in, like, internal, I think that it's so, um, you're, you're leaving it up to the ability that something happens in the world or someone, you know, someone says something, someone does something. And it's very fragile. Mm. Um, but if you're able to, like you were saying, your meaning and purpose, like once you find out your meaning and purpose and then lean into that, everything changes. Mm. So how did you uh, assess your meaning and purpose? Like let's say someone at home right now is loving everything, like ready to, you know, unshackle themselves, um, but they still don't know what path to take. How did you um, actually realize what that was for you? I'm still figuring out my path. And I think it's very important, especially as I get closer and closer to 40, to remind people that you you will just continue to find new paths along the way. You're an example of that. You thought you were going to live one kind of life, then you lived another, and now you've shifted again. So I think it's mostly just the fact that I have not made a decision about what my full path is going Mm. to be. I've just said, I'm open. I'm open to what comes in via the periphery. I don't have a five-year plan. I don't have a 10-year plan. I have absolutely no idea where I'm going to be, what country I'm going to be in. Uh, I only know that I will probably have the same hairstyle. <laughs> I you can't shake it. I've had it so those two. I can't. I think about changing it all the time, and I just don't want to. I just don't want to. I feel like if, if George Clooney's to, not going to, I'm not going to. <laughs> And that's just how it's going to be. If you don't want to, why do you feel like you need to? Because all the time everyone makes fun of my hair and they're just like, is it a wig? Why has she had the same haircut forever? But I'm just like, fuck off. Fuck off. We don't put that same pressure on men. And so just leave me alone. It's fine. And I like it. And how that is not the most important thing baffles me. It's what I like. But anyway, my hair's probably going to be the same. But I have no idea what I'm going to do. So just be open. Ask yourself, what do you love? The only thing that is sustainable for you to remain happy and healthy while pursuing is something that actually invigorates you, something that actually excites you, something that actually helps you grow. And again, that is an immense privilege. Some people who have a lot of children don't have the ability to just pick what they love. So I always want to be very careful that I'm not just a mattress being like, just follow your dreams, girl. I don't want to do that. That's not what I'm trying to do. But I am saying that if you can, if you have the opportunity to do just anything in your life that is just for you, it's not for the kids, it's not for the partner, it's not for the mum and dad, it's not for the thing that your friends will find, you know, appropriate or acceptable, find your niche weird thing and do it. And don't set a bar of success that makes that validated. Mm. Just do it. You never know where these things are going to go. I had no idea. I started the Iway movement with severe PMS on the back of a tour bus following my boyfriend around Europe when I didn't have a job. Like, I had no idea that was going to grow into a movement with millions of followers and a podcast and media. And now we're making documentaries. And I've gotten to speak at the UN. Like, I've met so many of my heroes because of it. It started from a premenstrual rage tweet at like 1 a.m on my birthday (laughs) so you just never know but just don't limit yourself don't let other people tell you what box you're supposed to be in because of the box you allowed yourself to be in up until now it's so important to just remember that there is no box 
And there is no the scarcity mindset that women have of like, there's not enough space. They've already got one of those kinds of women. Fuck that. We have millions of men doing the same exact thing and they all look and dress the exact same. For fuck's sake, there's more space for us. Bring more women up with you. Kick the doors open together. Don't look at women as your competition. Look at women as your co-conspirators. And I think you will find yourself having way more fun. It's going to be a better experience. And so that that's all I can say within the realms of being making sure that I'm being realistic is truly find what you love and run towards failure. Mm-hmm. Failure is where all of the color and the fun and the crazy ideas that turn out to be your best ideas often happen. Yeah. That's so cool. I freaking love that. It gives me the momentum to bounce back. Mm. Yeah, I get that. Um, so you mentioned kids. You have decided to not have children. Mm-hmm. Have you had shame for that decision? Yeah, I, I think it's mostly people just being like sad for me because I'm missing out on, you know, what they consider to be this great love, which I have no doubt is a great love, but also comes with a great potential for loss. <laughs> and I just i am sort of like, well, I don't know what that feels like. So therefore, I don't know what I'm missing out on. So it's not that big of a deal, but it's just so much responsibility. Mm. And it is giving up my whole self that has taken me until now to just about about find. And I've been looking after people my entire life. I've been caring for my family since I was about nine years old. I don't want to give up my life for anyone now. This is my life now. And I don't think I would be able to service a child or a family uh, by giving up half of myself with resentment reluctantly you have to be willing to i'm not saying you can't have have it all or whatever nonsense slogans we give to women that we don't give to men but i personally know that i want to sleep in late and i want to make last minute decisions and i want to be selfish sometimes and i don't want to have any any restrictions or responsibilities i am on my own adventure that i have chosen I'm in an unbelievably loving and happy relationship and we have brilliant dogs and I also live with my best friends and I'm thrilled and my life does not feel empty at all. And if one day it does, there are so many beautiful children out there that I could adopt. I don't mean as in like aesthetically good looking. That would be so ironic <laughs> after if that's what after I was looking for after everything done. I've said for the last 15 years. There are millions of ways to help people and my Mm. work helps people every day. I feel like I get to give a part of myself and sacrifice a part of myself every day. And so my cup is full and I have no, I have no curiosity about what, what other, it's kind of goes with the rest of my mentality, right? I'm not like, what more is there? What's on the other side? What do I not have yet? I don't have that mentality. So when it comes to this great love that I'm sure exists, it's surreal to me that I'm not curious about it. I'm happy with my lot and I don't want it to change. And I have other things that I want to do. And you know what? It's amazing to have mothers in this world, but who's looking after the mothers? This guy. I'm the one turning up with wine and a vibrator and pizza when you're exhausted. I'm their fairy godmother. I'm the fun aunt, but that's it. That's all I think I will ever be. And I think that if more people were honest with themselves and made that decision, I think that it would be a better world because I think a lot of people do it out of peer pressure and then it's not necessarily the right thing for them. We're all different. We're all very individual people and I don't think everyone was built for parenting. And I think it would be more responsible to make that decision from an honest place 
because all the people who tell you to do it disappear once you've done it. Mm. Everyone who's like, do it, do it, it'll be the best thing you've ever done. Gone. Gone. They're not there at three in the morning when you've got shit in your mouth. <laughs> do you know what I mean? They're not there in your hardest, most broken moments. But you know who is? Me. <laughs> I'll be there. Aunt Jamila, I think I think the problem is in that situation is that some people like from I can just speak for myself. I didn't realize, and this may sound silly, but I didn't realize not having kids was an option. I was so taught growing up from every subliminal message ever, including my grandmother, my you know ninety year old Greek grandmother, would just say, you know, oh, you're gonna you know be okay by the time you'll have babies, like as if having babies was the end goal, Mm. and so. Having that message in your mind over and over again, I remember the very first time I was like, do I want kids? Mm. And I even felt like I had to whisper it in my own head in case somebody would hear the whisper in my head because I didn't even realize it was an option. Mm. And so I think to be able to ask yourself that is beautiful, but sometimes people don't even realize it's an option. Then even if you realize it's an option, there's so many people that have that expectation that are going to peer pressure you into it that even people, the people pleasing people, which was definitely me, didn't want to upset my mum. I didn't want to upset my dad. I don't want to break everybody's heart. But it, so it was a real struggle. Did you have any of that at all in having to speak up and um, really kind of stand firm in that decision because you yeah. were getting a lot of backlash? Yeah, and also it's so annoying whenever I was like, you'll change your mind. Mm. I was like, I don't have a single brooding cell in my body. Like, I have no desire. I don't pick up a child and have any kind of emotional reaction. But I just know it's not, it's dead in here. Dead, cold, done. Like, it's, nothing's happening. And, and so I feel very passionately for children. Like, I really care about what is going to happen to them, what they're going to learn, what they're seeing in the world. And I feel like I can put, I can give back to the next generation via helping to shift that mm. without having to do one-on-one parenting. It's just too hard. Yeah. And it it strains relationships and makes everything much harder. And it doesn't mean that it doesn't add something beautiful to certain relationships. I'm just so happy right now and I just don't want to do anything to change it. It's so beautiful and it's, it seems extremely genuine for you to say that and to say that your cup is so full. Um, the Jamila before that tried to take her own life mm-hmm. to you now. How, how do you feel about that? Like you've come so far, homie, and it's so empowering and so beautiful to be able to see. How do you feel about having had that massive transition? I just feel very passionately that it is my job to remind people that your worst moment passes. And I would never have found that out if I'd successfully killed myself that night. And it's something that's so important for people to know that often the moment of suicide is a, an especially bad month, week, day or hour even. And I'm so glad that I stuck around for this very long experiment because I had no idea that I could ever come back from that low. I was destitute. My life was completely 
completely broken. I was completely insane. I'd truly lost my mind. The level of mental health that I was struggling with, like the amount of PTSD, the loneliness, the uh, starvation, like my body was falling apart. It was completely impossible for me to imagine any glimmer of hope. And I cannot believe what I found on the other side when I started to actually advocate for myself. And so I urge anyone who right now may be feeling hopeless, and I don't blame you because the world is terrifying. I beg of you, is there a way that you could try that would be different in this life? Is there another approach? Is there a slightly more selfish version of you? Is there a version of you that maybe needs to get out of your town? Is there a version of you that needs to leave your relationship? Is there a version of you that needs to change your friends, maybe? Are there things you could do if you really ask yourself that would make your life easier than it is now? And if there are, please just try them. Please just try, because the moment can pass. Homie, where can people find you, your amazing podcast, iWay, Bad Date, and everything that you're just doing in your work? Well, you can find me on Instagram at Jamila Jamil and my iWay movement and my iWay podcast, which I really love passionately. It's my favorite thing I've ever done in my career, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, called iWay with Jamila Jamil. That's W-E-I-G-H. And uh, we have this really fun movement that we're doing next year, which is built around literal movement, um, where we are democratizing exercise. I feel like exercise is something that's been made to feel very inaccessible for most people and it's been heavily tied to diet industry and you can see that even from the uh, aesthetic of the clothing the pastel colored bra and then the especially for women but also I think for men everything has to be very revealing very very tight shorts that you can see your arsehole through and and it's and that's fine and that's great and it makes people really happy but not all people and a lot of people feel therefore that they are excluded from the culture of exercise there shouldn't Mm. be a culture around exercise there shouldn't be a feeling of exclusivity of any kind around a basic free right And you don't have to go to a really expensive gym to be able to move your body. You can dance to Beyonce at home. You can go for a walk listening to a podcast, my podcast. Uh, You can do so many different things, so many different fun dance classes and be shit at dancing and wear rubbish clothes and eat a snack during and not make it about calories in, calories out. We are really working on a way to create joyful movement for people so they're exercising just for their mental health because the benefits of exercise for mental health are life-changing. They're now finding that I think it's something like 150 minutes of exercise a week can be almost as powerful as taking medication. Not to say that you should supplement one with the other, but imagine how much you could raise your ceiling of how happy you could be. I've started walking every single day for my mental health and noticed that I feel exponentially happier and different. And I've been able to come massively down on my anti-anxiety medication. And my mentality has changed. My sleep has changed. My sleep changing means that my entire life and health is changing. My mentality is changing. I have all my best ideas when I'm exercising. And I'm not doing anything that looks remotely sexy or impressive. I'm just moving my body in any way. And it just takes between five and 15 minutes for you to get all the happy chemicals you need to start to restabilize your day and therefore incrementally your life. And so it's called Move for Your Mind. We're going to be doing events all over the world. Our first one's in London and then we're going to do one in New York and then LA uh, and then gradually grow them and grow them and grow them. But we're trying to take exercise back. It got stolen by the diet industry and by the aesthetics world and that's horseshit. <laughs> and so I'm fighting back. So that's my next um, big 
row with <laughs> 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 mainstream media. Oh, it's amazing. We'll make sure that we put link in the show notes. Guys, guys, I've been a bit obsessed with this woman for years. How she shows up, what she stands for, the way that she wants to empower people by being her truth self is something to absolutely not just admire, but actually adopt. So guys, please drop in the comments. What's the one thing that really impacted you? Go follow her, go follow everything she's doing. And guys, if you're not subscribed, click that subscribe button down there. If you're not following me, follow me at Lisa Billu. And until next time, guys, be the hero of your own life. Peace.